Hi, this is Rachel McElroy. Hey, it's Griffin McElroy. This is wonderful. I have hand, foot, and mouth disease. I have just starting out. Right? I have hand, foot, right and that. mouth disease. For me, it's mostly the mouth, and I got it from a baby that I know very well. Well, <laughs> you know, I thought I knew him. I thought I knew him pretty well. Do you have any hand and feet ailments? My hands and my feet got through this one unscathed, which is a curse because I'd rather I spread it around a little bit more, you know, (laughs) so that my mouth wasn't doing all the heavy lifting. Um, But yeah, my baby gave me a hand, foot, mouth that he he got from probably some other baby. So thanks for that, uh, other kiddo. And it makes it hard to talk, and that's why I sound like a real mush mouth over here. And we'll continue to for the rest of the episode. Every word that comes out of my mouth is like um, a little bee that I'm spitting out. It's like every word is like a small bee that just spent a little time in my mouth and got comfortable in there. Oh, boy. So... I basically wanted to just put it out there that this one is a sacrifice I'm making for you, (laughs) the audience, to listen to. I'm sorry, Griffin. Hey, you know what? Sometimes you got to know and hold them, know and fold them. That doesn't apply here. And really, every dumb joke I make that doesn't work is like 14 (laughs) or 16 Bs. Um, And so it's just bad. It's real bad. Um, But what's good this week, I guess, to focus on for the small wonder segment? For the small wonders. Uh, oh my gosh, the uh, the pot roast you made. I made a pot roast. Oh, it was so good. It was a special day for moms. And so I made a roast in a crock pot. Uh, not a big deal, just seared a big old five pound boy. And uh, I have got, eaten it three days in a row now. Yeah, I'm looking forward. I'm about to take round three myself. Uh, let the good hot pot roast juices soothe my ailing <laughs> uh, head hole. And. Uh, yeah, it turned out real nice. I'm what? glad you enjoyed it. Can I ask it. you why you chose that as your your meal? Yeah, I like uh, crockpot based things. Yes, yes. because for sure. And, and it's not just the laziness of it. There's something almost. It's almost like winemaking to me, where it's like you know you let the tannins mature for for a few hours, for many hours. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is I guess it'd be like prison wine in this case. But I mean, something cool happens when you put meat in with a bunch of other stuff. into a pot where you just kind of let it get hot together for six hours or so flavors real good and the flavors get interesting i'm glad you enjoyed it yes i wanted to do eating a hot dog at a baseball game oh man that's another good one i'm a red-blooded american and there's just something about eating one of these hot dogs at a baseball game that really does it for me um baseball is either a fun exciting sport it's a sport that takes about four hours to complete and in there you're gonna get a few like 10 second long chunks of genuine excitement and enjoyment and the rest of the time i recommend if you've never gone to one of these baseball games is to fill that time with hot dogs Yeah, i do want to eat constantly when i'm at a baseball game it's because there's not much else to to do (laughs) i do enjoy every baseball player's walkout music though i feel like i'm getting a little window into their. there was a dude for the round rock express which is the local austin minor league team whose walkout music is uh, China Grove, uh, which I think is a Steely Dan song, if I'm not mistaken. I am mistaken. China Grove is from the Doobie Brothers. Oh, okay. um, but it's it's an unexpected walkout jam, <laughs> yeah. and it made me so happy. Rooted for him every time, but he struck out a lot. But that's okay, because the hot dogs. I think I go first this yes, week. Yes, you do. My first thing, 
Oh, it's, it breaks my heart to talk about it in the past tense. My first thing is Vine. Oh, Griffin. Vine was too good for this world. We did not deserve Vine, and Vine ascended to heaven. Um, did you see some folks in the wonderful Facebook group that were talking specifically about your Vines? No, I did not see this. There was a post just this week. I was looking through it of people talking about how much they enjoyed your Vines. Oh, that's sweet. Yeah. I, I I have seen recently folks say that's like how they found my body oh. of work, which is very strange to me because yeah. uh, I was under the impression that nobody used Vine. Um, <laughs> no, I wanted to talk about it because Vine, uh, if, if you weren't familiar, it was a video platform that was acquired by Twitter where you could upload these sec- six second long video loops. Um, and it launched in 2013, but it was sh- shuttered tragically in 2017, mostly because Twitter couldn't find out uh, a way to monetize it, which is like... It's a it's a museum at that point. Like, do we really need the profits, guys? Because it's providing a broader cultural thing for for the world. Um, and I mourn its death every waking moment of my days. Um, but last year, one of the co-founders announced that he was working on a squeakquel called V2 that sadly last week uh, he announced was on indefinite hiatus. Oh my gosh. So really jerking me around with Vine. Um, but in the four years where it was in operation, it was the best social media platform ever created. Um, and there's a lot of things about it that make it really special. Um, I think it was, I think it was special, uh, among other social media platforms and how explicitly performative it was. Um, and maybe this is sort of, um, a crass way of looking at, at social media platforms, but I think there is an element of performance to, yeah. to most of the stuff that you, that you yeah, do on there. That's an interesting point. Yeah. Because the things on Vine always seem to be like creative pursuits. It yeah. wasn't necessarily like sharing information or, yeah, uh, like here I got a haircut. Here's seven seconds of me with a haircut. Right. Exactly. It was it was it was a performance there was something about the honesty of that um that made it that made it different that i think made it kind of special it wasn't this avenue for um necessarily communication or like broadcasting updates about your life uh it was like a small stage and it was competitive in a in a way because people saw how other people were using this not just a platform but this like new medium and then tried to do bigger and funnier and more clever stuff with it and being like on the on the you know ground floor of of that and watching it change and grow over those four years was really exciting and um i it was the it for when it was alive it was the the platform that i used the most far more than than twitter and and facebook um for comedy specifically i think vine represented something really really neat um because we're like a long form platform like YouTube or whatever video plat Facebook video whatever um represented like a sketch or a scene or like a stand up set vine a vine was just a single joke um and i I think there's a way of reading that as like a a condemnation of like a reflection of our uh, our, our attention span in, in the modern age when we're using online social media. But I think there's another way of looking at it and that it's just a different thing. It was in and you do the thing and, and you get out. And so for comedy, like there are jokes that were on Vine that only worked on Vine because they were six seconds long. Well, and I think too, it's like the, the equalizer, like 
pretty much, as far as I know, everybody used their phone to do Vine. So right. it, it wasn't like there was this big differential between people, depending on the equipment or, you know, with like with YouTube, you know, you can put a fair amount of investment into your equipment. Yeah. Whereas when Vine's on phone, like everybody's kind of on the same playing field. Yeah. And so like a lot of like the best Vines were people just like shooting it themselves on their phone. I think uh, there were a lot of Vines from like visual artists and stuff who yeah. weren't necessarily doing comedy. They were doing like cool visual shit with their six seconds and playing with the loops. And, and there were yeah. people who did comedy and visual art stuff together in a way that was really, really successful. Um, but there is specifically about comedy. Like uh, there was a, a, I tweeted a video from him earlier this week. There was a vine user named Gabe Gundacker, who is a, a, a comedian who did a series of vines called guy who likes music that I've shown oh, Rachel many yes. times. And the, the premise is just, it is a man <laughs> who doesn't know what music is. It is his first time <laughs> discovering what music is. And so he's like, pointing at the corner of the room like i like this the music where is it coming from the the green the the, the green or the black and he's pointing <laughs> to like a house plant and a speaker <laughs> oh it's coming from the black i love that um and that joke, if it was a Saturday Night Live sketch, would be fucking terrible. Um, and I've seen, I cannot tell you how many Saturday Night Live sketches throughout the, you know, its history I have seen that would work better as a Vine was basically. A Vine was just one yeah. joke that they're like, all right, Lauren says we need four minutes of this. And it's like, oh, but you got about six good seconds. <laughs> um, and I, I, so I think that there was something inherent to Vine where it was just like, these are things that wouldn't work anywhere else. Be, it's be, and it's because of the fact that they are constrained to just six seconds and then, and then you're done. Um, and as a, like a creator of vines, I thought that vine was like kind of a powerful learning tool for like honing your, your comedy. Because one of the most important things I've learned from like making and editing podcasts all these years is that one of the best things you can do to improve the quality of your content is to prioritize a respect for your audience's time and attention. Uh, and, and that was a pitfall that we fell into a lot starting out, like every second of your podcast or video or whatever that you spend not doing something entertaining is whether, whether that's like a long pause or uh, a bit that you perform that you know wasn't necessarily very good, but you leave it in anyways just to pad out the time, uh, is a second of your consumer's time that you're just yeah. like wasting. Um, and at scale, if you have a lot of people watching your content, that's a lot of seconds that you're just kind of flushing down the toilet. And that accumulates really, really quickly and it reflects so poorly on the content you create. Meanwhile, if you hone it down until it's just the good stuff, then people don't know about the bad stuff that you did or the the pauses that you did or the you yeah. know suboptimal stuff that you did they just think like oh well this is really great um and vine with Vine, there's nowhere to hide. Like it is explicitly an exercise in concision, um, and it's it's one that I found very very valuable while it was still active. Um, and so I don't know. I I I I. I'm so sad that Vine is gone. I'm very sad that V2 is apparently indefinitely canceled and probably won't come back. And that makes me so sad because the people who like liked Vine loved Vine and it had such a diehard audience. And yeah. it, it had a community of creators also who have like kind of gone on to do other things. But it was strange that for four years there was this cult of personality of, of Viners. And those people yeah. were so established and now like there's... You know, I think about it. You used to watch, like we would watch Vines together at night and now we're watching like 
tasty videos Ugh. and like flipping through like craft videos oh, to try damn. and scratch that same itch. I'll tell you though, craft videos are getting there. For Rachel and my, <laughs> one of our favorite pastimes, this counts as a small wonder, is watching craft videos uh, from <laughs> Facebook channels, especially like life hacks that are just. We watched one where somebody took some fucking rubber out of a keyboard. They dismantled the keyboard and took the rubber underneath the keys that are like the padding. And then they cut it into a square and then hot glued that onto a cup. <laughs> and it's like, why'd you do that? And they're like, now my cup has rubber on it. We watched one it. last night with Legos. And it was all about the different ways you can use Legos. And pretty much all of them were like, you can glue a Lego onto another thing. You can glue it onto a keychain or a tie clip or a And now it has a Lego And on now it. the Lego's just on it. Uh, Vine was better than any yes. of this. Yes. Um, because like, Vine wasn't really a social media platform. It was an it, it was a short form entertainment channel featuring content that did not exist and has not existed since. Uh, well, it was yeah, on and there. you're somebody that you know. Part of your job at Polygon used to be producing like unique video content, and now that you have left that job, I know I need the Vine need outlet. Something I need V three. <laughs> this this time for sure. Um, I I am sad that it's gone, but I still uh, Vine still lives on in like compilation videos that are on YouTube, and I watch these several times a week of <laughs> of just the best the best stuff. Not out of pure nostalgia, but because it's like another it's a different form of entertainment that I enjoy that doesn't exist anywhere else on yes. Earth. What is your first thing? Uh, my first thing is a TED Talk. A TED Talk? It's a very specific TED Talk. Okay. It's called Why You Don't Like the Sound of Your Own Voice. Now, hold on a minute. You don't like the sound of your own voice? I didn't used to. Until we started doing this podcast? Until I got used to it. Oh, okay. Uh, so this is a PhD candidate at MIT, uh, their Media Lab program. It's Rebecca Kleinberger. Uh, and she gives a talk about the different voices we have and, and why there's a disconnect between hearing your voice on a recording versus how you hear it in your own head. So the different voices is normal voice, sad voice, angry voice, and Michael Caine. I think those are the four <laughs> everybody has. So there's the normal voice, angry, sad, and then Michael Caine. There it is. Why, why do we fall Master Bruce? <laughs> Birds. You're telling me that was the first impression you ever did, right? Was Michael Caine or no? That's the only impression because everyone does it. It's one of our four voices. So go ahead and do your Michael Caine now and just say, why oh, do we gosh, fall, Master you Bruce? Know how bad I am no, it'll be really good, please. <laughs> Give me something that, to say. Why do we fall, Master Bruce? <laughs> oh, it's going to be good, folks. <laughs> Buckle the fuck up. Why do we fall, Master Bruce? <laughs> I felt like I had it with Why fall. do we f- No, you lost it. I fall. had like Are you baby cane. Why do we fall, Master Bruce? <laughs> like we had Muppet oh, Babies, Michael Caine. just want to watch the world burn. <laughs> um, no, the voices she's talking I about. I love you, by the way. I didn't mean to make fun of your Michael Caine. It was very good. <laughs> no, I knew what was happening when you asked me to do okay. it. I knew where we were going. Um, so the different voices are the outward voice, the inward voice, and the inner voice. Okay. Uh, so the outward voice is the voice that you hear on your podcast that you do. Yes, exactly. Uh, it's the voice that other people hear. Okay. Uh, and um, it's a voice that that can change. Well, here's here's the other thing that's interesting. You have a different voice for every person you talk to. Whoa. 
Uh, which, Sorry, were you talking to me specifically, or was that sort of the royal? <laughs> no, you? everybody. Okay. That um, researchers can hear differences in your voice when you're talking to your spouse, or a parent, or a sibling, or a boss, for example. A child is the one that gets me really bad because I um, Henry has started to really uh, enjoy watching videos of himself. And I will watch them and hear myself talking. And I'm tr- really trying not to do like baby yeah, baby voice stuff because they encourage you not not to do that. They encourage you to just like speak with your regular voice because it helps with speech development and stuff. But sure enough, man, it's just like, are you playing with the water table? Oh, is it the sport gun? <laughs> oh, my buddy. And it's like, I don't talk. I don't say buddy. To- well, I feel like he wouldn't get your affection for him if you were like, are you playing with a water table? Yeah. Oh, my buddy. Oh, my buddy. Like, he even did it there. (laughs) Um, And there's the inward voice, which is the voice you hear when you're talking. And it sounds lower uh, and more musical because you're hearing it through bone and your inner ear and the cochlea and a neurological filter. Now, this is interesting to me. So there's something called corollary discharge which is the motor command to your muscles to produce movement. So it's not the movement itself. It's just a command that goes to various parts of your body to do thing. Yeah. And apparently that is the same for when you speak. So you're not really listening when you speak. Oh, that's entirely true for me <laughs> in general. Um, it's just kind of, it's an impulse being sent to the parts of you that need to work to say what you're saying. Oh, man. I get really existentially freaked the fuck out when we talk about this kind of stuff because I know it's like cool and science and stuff. But just thinking like, yeah, your brain sends electricity to your meat so that you fucking expel wind in the way that makes sound happen. And it's like, no, my words come from my soul. Well, and these are all examples of why when you hear your own voice, it sounds different because you're not especially used to hearing it because you're hearing it differently than you would when you speak. Um, it's funny we're talking about this right now because I feel like we're locked in a strange science experiment every time we record this show because I am wearing headphones and monitoring both of our audio. So I am actually getting both and you are not. And so I hear the sort of deep, sinewy, luscious tones that my ruined (laughs) chords produce, but you don't get that. No. And oh, and the final voice is the inner voice. So this is the voice when you read or it's rehearse. God. It's God and the Holy Spirit inside you telling you not to <laughs> steal a car. Or you get a song in your head or in your dreams. Uh, it's the voice that when you're not actually communicating. Does it actually sound like anything? Your inner voice? Um, I don't think so. The example she gave was dreams. Like dreams is where you can really kind of experience that but sure but like you have thoughts and those thoughts have words and coherent sort of structure well one thing she did say is that people with schizophrenia can't control or distinguish the inner voice huh. yeah that makes so sense. that's part of the reason you know there's so many issues there but uh yeah she didn't talk about whether or not there's a sound quality to it i think mine is michael kane and that's maybe <laughs> true for everyone and, and that's, that's why, why so your successful. impression is so and great. that's why it's so great bruce Mine is um, not Michael Caine, clearly. Yeah. Because I I don't have that ability. It's really good, though. I have baby Michael Caine. Baby Michael Caine is very good also. Um, I'm curious why you why you brought this. Was there was there some thing that happened that made you really think about your own voice for a bit? Well, I think 
I've gotten, since we started doing the podcast, I've gotten a lot of feedback on how people enjoy the uh, sound of my voice, which is not something I ever really thought about. And I know when I used to hear recordings of myself. You didn't like it. I I didn't. No, I I thought I sounded like a, like a child. I've never gotten that from Like a 13 year old or something. Like I still am self-conscious on my work voicemail, uh, you know, my office phone. I'm like, oh, people are calling and they're thinking that they're well, reaching out to a teenager. Are you doing your baby Michael Caine voice in the <laughs> office phone? Because that might be a bad problem. Well, there's a certain thing that uh, I have to be careful about. Have you heard of up talking? Yes. I feel like sometimes I'll do that, especially on like a voicemail message. Like, hi, this is Rachel. Please leave a message and I'll give you a call back. I think that people who criticize people for up talking and vocal fry and stuff like that yeah. are basically just sound pedants who are <laughs> the fucking way. worst. Um, I see Jesse tweet people who tweet mean yes. things at NPR folks like all the time. And it's just like, chill the fuck out. They sound how they sound. If you don't like it, go listen to something else. Otherwise, huff my duff. <laughs> he says that. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, yes, yeah, so I, I just, the, the TED talk I thought was really interesting to me because I hadn't really thought about a lot of that. They also talk about how vocal indicators can give you a, a, a sign of whether or not somebody has an illness, like, like Parkinson's, for example, mm. or they said, um, depression too, like the tempo of the way you speak can indicate huh. your likelihood for depression. Probably not with 100% oh, accuracy. Thing, oh. Yeah, no, I'm sure not. Um, obviously all of this is just, you know to varying degrees. But another thing they said is that your vocal posture when you talk to a spouse can predict when or if you will divorce. Oh my God. I know. I'm hunched over real bad right now and I'm barely well, opening no, my mouth to vocal speak. posture, like, like not your physical posture. What's like vocal posture? Vocal posture, like the, the tone and way you are communicating with somebody. Ah, are we okay? I want you to know my vocal posture is probably not good right now, but that's because of the hand, foot, and mouth disease. <laughs> this hand, foot, mouth disease is tearing our romance apart. God, it really does suck pretty bad, though. Can I steal you away? Wait, I wanted to ask you another question. Please. Have you? How do you feel about your voice? Huh, that's a good one. Oh, good question. Thank you. Um, I also used to not like it, but now I'm, uh, I listen to it so fucking much because I edit the podcast that, um, I do, I do enjoy it. The, yeah, my- I think that's what made the difference for me too. I mean, it speaks to the point of this, this lecture too, is that often you don't like the sound of your voice because it sounds so different from what you hear in your head and you're not familiar with it. But I think doing podcasts has helped me kind of not feel as jarred by it when I hear it. Yeah, I mean, I've listened to my own voice for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours now, yes. and so there's I'm 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 I don't know I'm a strange use case in this yeah. in this conversation. Um, can I steal you away though? You got to do it. My mouth I know, hurts I know, so I know, I know. bad. I I could I couldn't do like a fake kazoo or something. Quack 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 quack. Quack, 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 quack. Now, folks, don't get scared. There's not a duck in our room or your room, and you probably just looked around for the Aflac duck coming to... to the exciting thing is that I just opened a whole new genre of music that we can do. Farm animals. For this this, uh, interstitial, is that what it's called? Yeah, it's so... (laughs) 
Every time we read a baby book that's about farm animals, yeah. there's always a duck or a goose. Or Are a pig. We... No, okay, let me... <laughs> Are we just doing animals now? No. <laughs> okay. Pigs. Pig is a farm animal. Is a goose? We see this in like Charlotte's Web or one of these, and it's like, uh-oh, here comes the goose. And it's like, why have we got a bunch of fucking geese around? Is it a farm animal? No, I don't think so. Not from my perspective. Then how come we've been convinced that a goose is a farm animal? I don't know that I grew up thinking that. Well, good. Griffin? Yeah. You know what's a shame? What? Is that when you order uh, meals to be delivered to you, they can only be for dinner. That's true because of the law. But wait, wait, what's this coming across our desk? The law is different now? (laughs) It's factor. These rebels are operating outside the boundaries of food law. (laughs) Factor has breakfast. They have midday bites. They have smoothies. Uh, There's lots of stuff you can get with Factor. What other things can you get with Factor? Well, I'm looking at this menu right now. They got a lot of tasty little options for you. I'm talking about artichoke and spinach chicken with roasted zucchini and tomato butter. Did you even know that butter could be tomato? (laughs) Not me. Shredded chicken and loaded mashed taters. With I changed the word. They say potatoes, but I said taters, precious. With mushroom <laughs> gravy, smoked cheddar, uh, bacon, and Parmesan broccoli. Uh, this this menu is out of sight, and my mouth is just watering looking at these glossy JPEGs of tasty food. So head to factormeals.com slash wonderful50 and use code wonderful50 to get 50% off. That's code wonderful50 at factormeals.com slash wonderful50 to get 50% off. It can be intimidating trying to roll with the console cowboys in cyberspace. Um, there's always the worry that maybe they know something that you don't vis-a-vis um, website design or website functionality, and you think, that I could never be that. I could never be among their illustrious ranks. Griffin, if I wanted to build a website where I ranked my favorite episodes of Ghostwriter, would I be able to do that? Well, first of all, it would be the same list as everybody else's with the Julia Stiles <laughs> episode at the top. But yes, you can do that with Squarespace. It's the all-in-one platform for building your brand and growing your business online. Every Squarespace website and online store comes with a suite of integrated features and useful guides that help maximize prominence among search results. Do you want to have special functionality like maybe a members-only VIP club section of your website? You can do that. Do you want to sell stuff? Yeah, you can do that too. Do you want to have an online scheduler so that people you can, you can sell uh your time yeah you can do that also anything is possible that's um there for the commercial the super bowl commercial they had that was my voice yelling anything is possible in the wow background. yeah not a lot of people know that hey head to squarespace.com slash wonderful pod for a free trial and when you're ready to launch use offer code wonderful pod to save 10 percent off your first purchase of a website or domain this message is for wifey it is from amy Hey, you beautiful, powerful Pawnee goddess. I'm sorry it took me so long to jump on the podcast train, but I'm the fucking conductor now. (laughs) Sorry, I love when Rachel cusses. (laughs) It almost never happens. Thanks for being the Pasha to my Yzma, the Kentucky to my Estonia, making Trivia Night the highlight of my week and winning free beer for me. To my favorite Galentine, I love you. Kelly, answer your phone quick. Oh, shit, Kelly. Kelly, this is important. The storm's a tornado's coming. We gotta lock all the corn in the cellar.
That's also my Michael Caine when he did the <laughs> farming movie. Oh, when he was in the movie Twister? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a cow, Master Bruce. I'm not, I'm not a cow. It's not that good. I'm <laughs> just I'm tickled. Uh, this message is for Emily. It is from Gabriel. Hey, dog. <laughs> Thanks for introducing me to the McElroys and for being such a great mentor, listener, and friend. You've taught me so much about hard work, coping with anxiety, and board games. Wish you many happy years with your amazing wife and adorable pets and hope the earnestness of this message didn't make you too uncomfortable. I will appreciate that that message gave me a chance to say dog, which is not something I usually say when I refer to people. Yeah, not really since uh, Randy Jackson left American Idol do we all have sort of the ability to say dog. Well, uh, you definitely say dog. Yeah, I guess so, but that's because... You do a lot of, hey, dog? Uh, well, I carry Randy deep in my heart. <laughs> I carry his heart. I carry it in my heart. Uh, were you a member of the original Dog Pound? Uh, no, I came on when Philip died. <laughs> God. Is there a dog in a car at a bar on the street? Yay! I'm Allegra Ringo, a small dog owner. My dog Pistachio howls when she's excited. And I'm Renee Culvert, a big dog owner. My dog Tugboat tips over when he's sleepy. And we co-host a podcast called Can I Pet Your Dog that airs every Tuesday. We bring you all things dog. Yes, dog news, dog tech, dogs we met this week. We also have pretty famous guests on butt legs. We're not going to let them talk about their projects. No. Just want to hear about those dogs. We don't want to hear about your stuff, only your dogs. So join us every Tuesday on Max Fun. Can I tell you about my second thing? Yes. My second thing is a video game. Um, and I hesitate to bring video games on this show uh, because I know it can be a bit alienating to folks who have not played them before, like yourself. Like me, particularly. Um, but I, I only want to do it when a game does something like fascinating enough that I think it can be sort of appreciated by someone who doesn't maybe have interest in games and so i wanted to talk about a game called undertale uh which uh i don't know if you're familiar with i've played it like a dozen times since we've known each other playing it yes um i i saw somebody in the facebook group recently with an undertale themed graduation cap design and so i was kind of inspired to talk about it uh, from that. So it's a, it's a game from a developer named Toby Fox. It came out in 2015 and it's since sort of appeared on multiple platforms. A Switch version is coming out very soon, uh, which is exciting. Um, it is, it's a role playing game with sort of simple pixel graphics that is set in this monster filled world underneath the, the surface of the earth. Uh, and there is a protagonist who's just a human child that you get to name who falls into this world and is kind of looking for a way to escape. What what the game does that is very, very cool that um, not very many games do is it's not just about going around and killing these monsters as you try to find a way out of the world. It turns them into characters themselves. And so while you may fight, uh, you know, some big ice bird monster thing later on in the game, you may see them sort of at a bar off their patrol shift, just kind of hanging out um, and... They, you know, they, they tell you a story about their kids or something like that. Um, it's a very, very funny game, which there are very, very few of. There are a lot of games that try to be funny and are fucking miserable at it. Um, but, but this game does a lot of sort of visual gags and, and stuff like that, that, uh, despite the fact that there's like a gag on virtually every screen of the game, the density of them never really gets old. Um, but what's really cool about this game and what I wanted to talk about is its take on morality, which is something that 
games attempt to do a lot and usually do like a comedically ham-fisted job of it made me think of one game that you and i did play together is the walking dead uh telltale adventure game series which i think did a fairly good job of uh giving the player sort of these these decisions not because it dealt in uh black and white morality necessarily uh but rather that it put you in extremely bleak and stressful circumstances and then had you make one of two very, very bad and painful decisions. Yeah, exactly. Um, which was, uh, I don't know, we played through the first series and really, really enjoyed it. And then by the second series, it was just like, okay, this is the 15th time <laughs> I've had to decide which character is going to get eaten by zombies and which one's going to survive. And so the shine came. I will say I appreciate that because my inclination a lot of times when playing games where there are choices and one is clearly the right choice and one is clearly the wrong choice is I, my inclination is always to pick the right choice just because I'm like, you know, so that for some invisible approval. So right. That's what I wanted <laughs> to talk about is that games do this. Are you good or are you evil yeah. idea a lot? Um, there's role playing games like uh, Mass Effects from from Bioware, uh, Bioshock, uh, a bunch of games that do this. Um, and, and they are almost always preposterously like black or white. Uh, like you come across a wounded soldier. Do you want to kill them or not kill them? Or, oh, there's an old woman who dropped their wallet. Do you want to steal it or you want to give it back? Yeah, or exactly. there's a little girl full of magic energy. Do you want to save her or consume her power in some way? Um, and like the thing with that, uh, that sort of the Walking Dead game stepped around by making it not black and white, just like bad or bad, uh, is that when you approach a decision like that in a game, it carries very little weight because like you said, like I wanted to be good and so i just did the good decision every time or if you're playing through the game and it's like i want to get the dark side sith powers in this star wars game so i'm just gonna make the bad person decision every time it doesn't carry any weight you're just doing it for mechanical reasons or just to be consistent and in a lot of ways that decision's already made for you what Undertale does that is so 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 cool and so clever cleverer than you would expect from a game that uh, looks so like simple with such like fairly rudimentary art and stuff like that is uh, it does not allow those decisions to ever be easy. So if you want to be good, if you want to get the good ending and uh, be, be a nice person the whole way through, it's not as simple as choosing like don't kill. You actually have to work at it a little bit. If you're in a fight with a monster and you want to spare them, you have to like figure out what they want and then give it to them. Uh, sometimes you'll be in a boss fight where they won't allow you to, walk away like peacefully they want to fight you they want one of you to kill each other and when you're locked in a circumstance like that how do you find the peaceful resolution to it and the answer is like work it's hard it's it's mechanically very difficult like you have to survive the fight long enough to find the peaceful solution um and it's never really explicit. It never really shows you. It, it plays with that that video game expectation of, well, I'm going to either make the good decision or the bad decision to get the good guy points or the bad guy points. Um, so much so that it never really tells you, like, hey, you can play through this whole game without killing anybody. It's kind of up to you to figure that out. And once you start trying to do it and challenging yourself to do it, you start to want to do it. And then all of a sudden that decision does have weight. The idea that like, I have to work really, really hard and make the game actually more difficult for myself by refusing to ever hurt anybody. Yeah. And so when you finally do accomplish it, it's like, that was my decision and I worked for it. Not because of 
some silly reason. It's because I wanted to do it. And the same goes for actually the inverse of the game. There's a version of this game where you can play through it without killing anybody. And it's very hard. And you have to figure out ways to get around these yeah. sometimes like violent monsters who just do want to kill you. This is something you do a lot when you play games. Like I'll see you play games a lot and you'll like try and get through the game without like murdering. Well, I did that with Peacecraft for World of Warcraft, yeah. which was really fun and, and interesting to, to do. And that idea is kind of baked into Undertale. There's an inverse, though, where you can kill absolutely everybody. And it gets pitch black. It gets genuinely yeah. like upsetting and, and, and troubling. Um, but it, again, it's not easy. If you just go through, the, go through the game and every time you get in a fight, you kill a monster, that doesn't do it. You have to like actually go around the areas until monsters stop appearing. And then you've killed all of them. And then they don't appear in town because you killed all of them. It's really, really dark. But again, it's not, nobody ever says to you, like, you can kill everything if you just keep going through and don't leave an area until monsters stop appearing. Um, so in both cases, if you want to get the good guy ending or the bad guy ending, you have to work at it and you have to figure it out yourself. And I, I, I think that is such a better way of handling morality in a game than, like, press X to shoot the guy or B to yeah. walk away. What's really cool is that uh, Undertale's a fairly short game. It takes just a few hours to play. Uh, and when you finish it, characters the next time you play the game will remember what you did the last time. Oh, interesting. And that, that info doesn't just, that data doesn't get deleted if you like erase your save. It, it gets like deep in the files of your computer where they are very, very hard to access. You can't cheat your way out of it. So if you have a playthrough where you kill everyone, the next time you come back, there will be characters who remember what you did what if, what if you play through it a bunch of times like you have Do they, they remember like every yeah it, it, there there's some cool parallel universe shit that happens in the game like it's tied into the plot a little bit that okay. sort of helps explain this stuff away but it also means that every time you play it you're playing through a parallel like shard of the game where you might see something you hadn't seen before um but if you go like the pitch black route and kill everything then like folks never forget that yeah and it's really really cool and again like it gives yeah, your like it that. gives the things you do a lot of weight um and it's just so like staggering the first time i played this game i wasn't expecting much from it because it didn't look like this you know triple a polished game but it is one of my favorite video games of all time because despite how like humble it appears it does stuff with morality and uh the the weight of your decisions as a player that i think no other game has ever ever done before also the music is fucking great What's your second thing? So my second thing, I am by no means an expert in. Okay. Uh, but I thought I would talk about it because it has brought me a lot of pleasure. Okay. And that's uh, manicures and pedicures. Yeah, let's talk about manicure pedicure because I don't know what this is. <laughs> I got you one for Mother's Day and I was like, enjoy the foot scouring. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. So there's there are... There is like an unlimited amount of resources on this, um, depending on how deep you want to go. I am not somebody that has ever watched, for example, YouTube tutorials. Uh, I've never gotten nail art 
which is like where you can get very intricately painted or stuck on details on your nails. You more like the experience of it than the result of it, right? No, I like the result too. Oh, okay. I just, I don't see it as an opportunity to get especially creative. Mm. It, it more like gives me a like, and forgive the choice of words here, but it gives me more of a polished feel. Oh boy. <laughs> oh, yikes. I will not forgive you. You can't just say forgive me. I have to consent to the forgiveness and I do not. <laughs> Um, the, the, one of the research I did was more on kind of the history of manicures, uh, specifically, cause I thought it was kind of a, an interesting thing. And, and I don't honestly, I don't know how we know all of the things that I was able to find. For example, a lot of what I found said that Cleopatra and Queen Nefertiti were uh, big fans of the manicure. And I was like, how do we know how do we this? know this y'all? <laughs> I, I mean, I feel this way about a lot of history, which makes Other you sound like, like a flat earther, but like, how do we know this? Oh, <laughs> uh, maybe it's possible. Like I was wondering, like in the hieroglyphics, of Cleopatra, did she have painted nails? That's oh, how we yeah. knew. Or in like sculptures of Queen Nefertiti, was was her, her nails like prominently? I don't, I don't know. I mean, if we can assume that this technology existed back in those days, those two probably did get down on some mad mani pedis. Uh, so here's here's the thing. So as far back as like 3500 BC. Apparently, ancient Babylonian men manicured and colored their nails with different colors representing different classes. Huh. This is from a Marie Claire article I found from 2014. Uh, apparently, the upper echelons wore black while the lower classes wore green. Huh. And they had found a ancient uh, solid gold manicure set. Whoa, shit. Yeah. Uh, and then, as I mentioned, Cleopatra and Queen Nefertiti popularized the manicure by rubbing their hands in rich oils and staining their nails using henna. Oh, that sounds good. Which they believed uh, signified their wealth and status. The bolder the color, the more power you had. Cleopatra, they say, preferred a blood red hue, while Nefertiti opted for ruby. How did same color? <laughs> How know. did we know this? I have no idea. I found this in a few articles that I read. Nobody ever explained to me how this is known. Hmm. Uh, and then there's the uh, Ming Dynasty's manicure. Oh, I bet they got fucking buck wild. Both male and female members had perfectly manicured talon-like nails. To add a tint, they mixed together egg whites, wax, vegetable dyes, and other materials to create different color varnishes ranging from dark red to black. Fuck, yeah, that is the summer look. Egg whites all up on my nails in the hot sun. <laughs> Fuck yeah. These little little poached eggs stinky, that you peel off. Stinky, beautiful nail art. Uh, so the manicure as we know it today started in the 20s and 30s. Uh, women began to color their nails using high-gloss car paint. Well, that's one way of getting the job done, I suppose. <laughs> and then in 1932, Revlon launched a groundbreaking polish that used pigments instead of dyes and was available at drugstores. In 1932? I know. It didn't really seem like didn't the didn't seem like a time for industrial expansion, <laughs> maybe Revlon. Or, or maybe like, shit was rough and you needed something nice to look at. And it's right there at the end of your hand. Yeah, I... I mean, that, that is actually, that's a fair point because for me, I'm not somebody that spends a lot of time on my appearance. Um, I don't really put effort into my hair or, and I don't really wear makeup, but like a manicure and pedicure makes me feel like put together. Mm -hmm. Like I, this maybe the rest of this is intentional because, <laughs> because my nails look nice. Yeah. Uh, and so I appreciate that. And I didn't get a manicure until I was in my mid twenties, hmm. maybe. Um, 
it's not anything that I really grew up with, uh, but I became interested in as I got older because it was like, Oh, I look like a fancy person. Sure. <laughs> there, there, you focus mostly on like the painting and design part of it, but there's a certain amount of like nurturing that goes into a good one. Oh, too. yeah. Yeah. And that's when I was trying to find the like the health benefits to see if there were any like Probably not a lot. No, I mean, they talk about the massage and the moisturizing mm. and the and the circulation. And also, you know, a good um, manicurist can can notice potential issues oh you know blast your bunions well if you have like a fungus problem for example oh no uh one of my friends was getting a pedicure and they actually found something on her foot that they thought might be cancerous and she went to go get it checked out so there was it it was actually yeah she had it removed and now she's fine damn but it it was you know something that she might not have realized otherwise yeah Um, so so there are benefits in that sense but as far as like lasting impact to your nail health i didn't find as much i think there's also something to it the same way that when i talked about massage like just making a decision to do something nice for yourself divorced from the actual act of receiving that is a form of self-care like deciding that you are worth you know doing doing something nice yeah exactly and I, i think the reason i appreciate it more than like a massage for example is is that you know, I can look down at my nails and it's like a little reminder of like, oh, that looks nice. You know, whereas yeah. a massage, honestly, like a few days after, I feel like the benefits have <laughs> yeah. totally disappeared. I just get like one hour afterwards <laughs> where I'm like, oh, my body's so sticky. I love it. My body's so <laughs> sticky. My hair smells like mint. I did get a massage. <laughs> um, can I tell you what our friends are into this yes. time? Yes. Alan says, I'm going to a convention this weekend, so I'm very excited about cosplay. Whether seeing your favorite character across a showroom floor, working hard all year to debut a new piece, and getting to hear people getting excited about your hard work, the ingenuity and passion that goes into the hobby fills me with joy. I love a good cosplay. I am really fascinated by the like the community around this because I it's not anything I was familiar with until a couple of years ago and now I feel like it's everywhere I look. It's so cool. It's like a it's it's a way of uh artistic expression that also yeah. uh has a lot of ingenuity behind it. So like how complex a character can you make uh and seeing some of the things that people are able to create like uh Overwatch characters like Mercy where they've created full expandable wings out of like Amazon delivery boxes is like, holy shit, <laughs> um, is, is very, very cool. Uh, Hannah says, something I think is wonderful is flying on a plane over a big city at nighttime. Getting to see city lights bright and twinkling against the dark sky from the bird's eye view of a plane makes everything look magical and gives me such a sense of wonder. Like this too. Yeah, I almost never fly at night now that I think about it. I used to because uh, Chris Grant, my yeah. former boss at Polygon, <laughs> uh, who I worked for for a decade, especially back in the, the AOL days, would only allow us to really fly on red-eye flights because <laughs> especially in the AOL days, we had about $30. <laughs> that was like the budget for the whole site was 30 or $40. So we have to take red-eye flights. So I got to see a lot of uh, bright lights, big cities at, you know, 3 a.m., um, here's one last one from Ian who says, one thing I love is fixing stuff around the house. I can't do much and it's usually very frustrating as I'm doing it, but the feeling of accomplishment when my shower handle works at the end of hard work is fantastic. Oh man. Oh, it's my shit. Yes. I mean, it's not, I don't know fucking anything about anything. <laughs> I know literally nothing, but when I, oh man, we had a pipe 
at our old house that came down from the attic into the garage. Uh, and I think it was our like AC units, like drip, 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 something. drippy guy. Yeah. <laughs> where like the water condensation would come off the AC unit in the attic and then it would go down this pipe and then would empty out into nothing. It would just drip onto yeah, our garage floor. I don't know what the previous owners were doing. I don't either, but we put a cooler down there and we just have to remember every day to go and to dump the cooler, the cooler out into our. Which was probably bad. It's probably full of bad uh, stuff. But then I went and I found a way to, I bought a hacksaw and I bought some PVC pipe and I bought some glue. With the support of the aforementioned With the Chris support Grant. of the aforementioned Chris Grant. And I did the damn thing. So That was really impressive to me. And it took me a long time and I did get extremely frustrated. But at the end of it, I was like, hey, I fixed this. I'm an yeah, adult. Yeah, I prefer when you work on this when I'm not at home because yeah. if I am present. Oh, you hate hearing me get very, very angry <laughs> at pipes. so angry. I had to go and buy like three different uh, pipe cutting instruments <laughs> yeah. until I finally went and bought a tool at Lowe's called like a pipe cutter. And I was like, yeah. oh yeah, I should have just fucking bought this. We also use that to trim branches. Later. I've used that pipe cutter <laughs> for so many things. Um, anyway, that's the episode. Sorry that I've been talking out of a very narrow aperture of my open mouth the whole time. I uh, promise I'll be back up to fight and wait next week. And well, I hope so. God, I hope so, too. It's a very mysterious illness for adults. Yeah, we're not supposed to get it. The age is supposed to shield me from some things, but uh, apparently <laughs> I didn't get the memo. It doesn't help that I try to eat our son's toes so much, and that's probably... Yeah. Probably well, you've that... also worked from home for over a decade. I have no immune system whatsoever. That's an excellent <laughs> point, Rachel. Thank you. Um, and thank you to Maximum Fun for having us on the network. You can go to MaximumFun.org and check out all the great shows there. Shows like The Greatest Generation and... Stop, Bullseye. And Bullseye. And stop podcasting yourself and a lot more at uh, MaximumFun.org. Thank you to Bowen and Augustus for the use of our theme song, Money Won't Pay. You can find a link to that in the episode description. And uh, you know, take us out with more Michael Kane. Say like, thanks for listening. Everybody catch us. You know the usual yeah, podcast yeah, yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, thanks for listening. No, <laughs> no you got it. Th- thanks for listening to Wonderful. Oh my God! No, keep doing it. It's good. Join us next week, Master Bruce. <laughs> All right. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported. Thank you so much to the over 28,000 members who joined or upgraded during the 2018 Max Fund Drive and to all of our monthly members. You showed up in full force to help us reach our goal and to show our appreciation. We're putting up this year's batch of Max Fund Drive exclusive enamel pins on sale for all $10 and up monthly members. And just like last year, we're giving all the profits to charity. For 2018, we're supporting the National Immigration Law Center. The sale will run from May 18 through May 28, so don't miss it. $10 and up monthly members will be receiving personalized code and instructions to purchase pins on May 17. So keep your inbox open and notifications on. 
For more details, head over to MaximumFun.org pins. And to learn more about the National Immigration Law Center and support them directly, you can go to NILC.org.